welcome back to Lend Me Your Ears. God, busy season sneaks up every year. <laughs> we talk about it a lot and plan for it. We're like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. Now that it's here, it's, it never fails to always seem bigger than we thought it was going to. But uh, like I said a few weeks ago, it wasn't really burning weather here in New Hampshire. It was still in the 70s. It was still really good weather. And uh, overnight, it seems like the temperature dropped and now the phones are exploding even more than they were. So I'm a little uh, a little distracted lately. <laughs> For those that have been trying to get a hold of me or call me or talk to me, that's one of the reasons is I'm just all over the place. But that comes with running a business, as most of you know. So hopefully you're doing okay, you're holding in there, uh, dealing with uh, the stress and pressures and all that, but thank you for coming back here, and uh, thank you for lending me your ears, at least for a little while. This week, I wanted to go over something that uh, I mentioned briefly last episode. When I was talking about the difference between a servant leader and a self-serving leader, I talked about how to a servant leader training is a necessity. And I, I kind of thought about that because it is. And I say that and I kind of just breeze past it. Uh, those that know me, I talk a lot about training and we have a whole training setup that's coming here soon. In another episode, I'm going to walk through the training process for our new technicians. But I wanted to dive into that a little more because it's it's more than a necessity. It's it 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 has to be your foundation. And if it isn't, you have to be able to take that step back, admit you don't know what you don't know, and get the training you need, right? This isn't just for your employees. If this is an owner listening, this is for you as well. Like You need to make sure that you're at the top of your game because it, it's a trickle-down effect. They're going to, your employees are going to mimic you, follow you, do what you do, say what you say. If you're not saying and doing the right things, that's what your company will turn into. And I've lived this, I've seen it happen. So one of the best ways that I have found to, to kind of wrap my head around this or explain this comes from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, if you haven't read it, amazing book, 100% uh, recommend reading it, whether you own a business, run a business, work in a business, or just breathing. It's a fantastic book. But the the one that has like kind of jumped off the pages at me over the years has been the story of sharpening the saw. So if you've already read the book, this might be a refresher, but for those who haven't read it, the idea behind sharpening the saw is let's say you're a lumberjack and you have to go chop down a tree and you have a saw, right? Your saw is extremely dull, but you need to get this tree cut down. So you start cutting, you start sawing away at this tree with your with your dull saw. Using that saw, it's going to take about six hours to cut down that tree. So you just you knuckle down. You're like, all right, let's get to it. I got to get this tree down. Six hours, you know, isn't going to go by by itself. But here's the big but. And here's where the, the sharpen the saw comes in. A friend of yours comes up and says, hey, why don't you take some time and sharpen that saw before you cut down the tree? Most people's reaction to that is, no, no, I don't have time. I don't have time to cut or to sharpen the saw. I've got to get this tree cut down. It's going to take me all day. Just leave me alone. Let me just get back to work. And off we go, beating this tree with this dull saw. When in reality, if you took two hours, let's say it took two hours to sit down and actually get this saw back up to peak sharpness, 
it would only take you two hours to saw the tree. That's four hours. It's less time to stop, sharpen the saw, start again, and cut it more efficiently. Now, since it took you two hours to sharpen the saw and two hours to cut down the tree, if you're still going to use those same six hours, you still have enough time to cut down a second tree. So we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, sure. But in the book, he talks about uh, it applying to our lives, right? A lot of people, they complain about being out of shape or overweight, but don't want to take the half an hour, hour a day to go to the gym, right? We complain that we don't have, but we don't put in the time to get, we just complain that we don't have it and we just keep trudging through it. That's the story behind sharpening the saw. To me, this takes on a whole new life when it pertains to our industry, my company in particular. So I'm going to explain a lot of times that I have stopped in my company to sharpen our saw and what it's done for us. And also a lot of times that I've heard the other side of it. Well, don't have time. Shouldn't do that. Don't, can't do that. Doesn't matter. Right. So the first one, the first story that I have is the one that I've told before, but I love telling it over and over again because it's the reason I am where I am. I worked for someone else who did not take the time to sharpen his saw. I thought I knew what I was doing based on what I had heard and seen and learned from him. So I went off, started my own company. And the first liner ever put in almost burned somebody's house down. I didn't find this out for a year. One season goes by, he of course calls somebody else. They go out and fix it. Turned out to be uh, Steve Scally, 20 minutes away from me. And uh, he puts the pictures on Facebook. And I see the picture that I still have saved in my phone. I'm going to get it framed one of these days. But I see the picture of the homeowner's dog peeing on my liner. And that was kind of my my come to Jesus moment when I see I saw that. And I, I wrote Steve. I'm like, what did I do wrong? He goes, you need to get training. I'm like, but I am. I took that one day class at the hotel that I studied the book on my own. So I'm certified. I know what I'm doing. And he, he's like, no, you don't. That's why I'm out here right now. But I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought that just going and sitting in a hotel for a day was going to make me a star, going to make me an expert. That's not how it works. So what I did next, though, was was how we tie into the sharpening of the saw. I already had a full-blown company at this point. Calls coming in. Uh, at that point, I had two technicians working with me. I was working on trying to grow a little bit. Uh, so I had three employees total. I had Jill in the office, and I had uh, two technicians working with me. So three total, and then me. That's the whole company. At as luck would have it, there was a five-day training course being held here in Manchester, which training doesn't come up to Manchester very often. So there's five days worth of training coming to my back door, right? I had to make a decision. How am I going to get them trained? Should I just go get trained, take this course? They go out and work, answer the phones, make some money. I'm going to go sit through this class. I'm going to relearn everything, come back, and then I'm going to spoon feed it back to them baby bird style, and we're going to make everything work. I could have done that, but I wanted to be better. I didn't want it to be all about me, and I already saw what it was like when I supposedly knew everything and then went back to try to regurgitate what I had heard to them. And I was like, no, if we want this saw to be really sharp, we're shutting it down. And I did. Shut the entire company down. It's the only time in Caesar Chimney history where the phones weren't answered for an entire week. Jill came in. She's in the office, right? She's like, well, I got to go to try and learn about like liners and bricks. And I'm like, you need to. Let's go. <laughs> Brought her in, paid everybody hourly, paid them their normal hourly rate from the 
the second they got to the hotel it was being hosted at to the second the class was over. Paid the entire company. Nobody made any money. Nobody answered the phone. Nobody worked, but we learned for five straight days. All three of the technicians got certified. I didn't have Jill take the test at the time. I just wanted her there to to gain the knowledge and the insight and kind of see the other side of it. Plus, she was also still working from home, so it was good to get her out and around other chimney people and learning. So, But she didn't take the test, but the three of us that did all got certified. But that doesn't happen if I don't see the value in training in sharpening the saw. I could have just as easily been like a lot of people we see in, you know, on Facebook and we hear. It doesn't matter. We all know these people. Well, I've been doing it this way for 15 years, so it's fine. I've been doing it this way for 30 years, so I don't have to change. Or I've been doing it so-and-so. I have so much experience, right? There's a guy here in my area that loves saying that. I told him, you should get certified. You should get training. You should get something. And his answer is always, John, please. I've been doing this for X amount of years. Like, I think I know what I'm doing. And I didn't have an answer for that when people would say that to me until I, and I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard it somewhere else. I didn't come up with this, but someone said, no, you don't have 20 years of experience. You have one year of experience, 20 times over. And I was like, you got it. That's, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Let's go back to me in the driver's seat of this company, getting a call or seeing on Facebook that I almost burned a customer's house down. And I could have been just like a lot of other people and said, well, yeah, that's a fluke. That wasn't me. That was them. Whatever. Let's keep it going. We got money to make. Absolutely could have done that. Thought about it, actually. <laughs> but I couldn't. But there's so many people that think just because I've done it this way, that that's the way I've always got to do it. Codes are changing every year. There's actually a class that goes on every year that talks about the updated changes to the codes, both NFPA, IRC, and others, ANSI and all that. But you don't know that if you're not looking into it. You have to keep up with the training. The training isn't always the same. Just because you learned how to do this job 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last year, it's changed already. You have to keep up to date with national codes, standards, local codes, regulations, the, the guy down the road that's your AHJ that decides he wants to do something different now. Now you got to, you have to know that. But if you're not keeping up with it, if you're just doing what you've always done, the materials are changing. In the last two years, wood stoves completely across the board have changed because of EPA regulations. If you're not keeping up with that, if you're always doing what you've always done, you're no good anymore. Things are changing too quick for you to do it the way it was done back in 1995 or back in 2009 when I started. Like It's a light year away from where I started in 2009. I joke all the time with my technicians how spoiled they are. They are. But I started mixing mortar in a trough, essentially with a hoe by hand, dumped the mortar in with a, a spoon or like a whatever it was, a bucket, and then mix it with a hoe. And that was how I learned. Now they all have motorized paddles on drills with batteries and they get to stand up and dump it. We're in a respirator. <laughs> okay. I had to do it on my knees and my back was killing me after one bag. Great. I had to push a brush. Everybody remember the old certification question about what do you do in the first foot of sweeping a chimney? And the answer is reverse the brush. I said that in a training class a couple of years ago and everybody kind of looked at me like, what? what is that? Why? Why would you do that? And I'm like, because it could get stuck. And they're like, what? How's the brush? It's impossible. The brush gets stuck in the first foot because we're all rotary sweeping now. My own company, I said that to my guys and they're like, what? What do you mean? Reversed? I was like, just remember reverse the brush. Of course, we've now updated the manual. So like I'm saying, last two years, if that's the way that you know the test or the, or the industry, you're wrong. 
It's outdated. It's old. You got to get with the new because nobody's push brushing anymore. There's all these fancy tools, spinning rods and weed whackers. And one of my texts went out last week. Uh, I got a call from a homeowner. He got a brush stuck in his flu. And my texts all went, how did he do that? And I'm like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. There used to be different shapes and sizes and you'd have to fit it and then you'd get a rod and you'd push it from the top down. And some of the new guys are like, ew, <laughs> what, why? I'm like, don't worry about it. Just go out there and try to get it out. Turns out the guy was using a 10-inch round metal brush on a 6-inch round insert liner. And it was wedged. My text couldn't get it. And I'm like, he's using a 10-inch metal on a liner. Anyway, long story. They didn't even know what that meant. I was trying to explain to them how push brushing works because that's how far we've come since I started in 2009. Push brushes and I almost fell off a roof, almost died because I got the brush stuck at the bottom and I tried to pull up on it when it finally let go. I almost fell off if he wasn't standing there next to me and put his hand out and stopped me. I would have just tumbled off a three-story roof. That's what sweeping was when I started. Not anymore. Now you do it from inside with a respirator and the vacuum and you get to sit down, probably get a knee pad or something comfortable. Like it's nowhere near how it started. But there's still people out there that are like, well, I've been doing it since, you know, before you were born. That doesn't impress me, honestly. I've been doing this for 10 years. The entire thing has changed in the time that I've been a technician to a business owner. If you go any further back than that, I don't want to know because it's different now. But one year of experience, 15 years over, does not an expert make. I learned that the hard way. My first year in, if I had kept going with my one year of experience, now 12 years over, how many houses would I burn down? What kind of company would I have? So that's the first story. Shut the company down for a week, paid everybody to come in, made no money. Everybody sat in a class and listened and learned. After that class, my average ticket doubled. It doubled because I didn't know what I didn't know. So the money that I lost that week, we remade in the first two weeks going out and actually now looking for things like wood under a hearth or running a camera up a flue or measuring appropriately or sizing correctly or all the things we learned now made us more money. So it was a wash. It was actually less than a wash because we made money going on, which is interesting because I'll never forget the phone call I got from a competitor. One of these guys around here, he's he's always that... that I've been doing it this way. I'm experienced. I don't need to be educated. And I just laugh now. But at the time, I was like, no, no, you have to. He calls me up after this class and he goes, man, John, I've been following behind you and you're you're going to price yourself out of this industry. I just got to tell you that. Like, I'm stealing jobs from you left and right. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I show up and you're, I don't know what happened in the last month to you, but your estimates that used to be a thousand, they're now two. And I'm just going in there and just taking all your work. You're not going to have a company anymore. And I said, no, but you don't understand, right? See, there's codes, right? And the codes say that you have to do things a certain way. I was just running a brush up the flue and I didn't know what I was looking for. Now that I'm actually looking and inspecting, I'm finding and fixing and I'm doing a better job. And his answer was, (laughs) John, come on, give me a break. Codes change, okay? So let's just, you know, just do you and don't lose your shirt here. At the time of that phone call, I had one van, one and a half vans. So did he. One of us is still the same size. One of us is not. I'm just going to put it that way. Because if you don't know what you don't know, how can you grow? The idea behind not not admitting what you don't know is pride. 
really, at the end of the day. The opposite is humility. You have to humble yourself down to be able to say, I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm not as good, or I don't know as much as I'd like. The idea that you've made it, that you know it all, that you've reached the top, that it's it's over, you're done, you're there, get the t-shirt, go home, that doesn't work in life or in business or in marriage or anything else. There is no end. You're always learning. If you think that you know it all, you're automatically wrong. And anybody else around is going to go, yeah, okay. Nobody, Nobody's impressed by that when you actually know it all or you've reached the top. Because you can't. Once you know it, it changes, right? Try learning a cell phone. The next year, brand new one comes out. Everything's different because they want to stay relevant. So they change everything. So that whole thing about I already know what I'm, I'm experienced, that goes right out the window because you can't be. It's not a thing. The next one I get a lot from people is, well, I just don't have the time, honestly. And that's, I get that when I'll call them up and I'm saying, hey, the, the New Hampshire Chimney Sweep Guild is holding a class or uh, CSIA is holding a four-day event or there's this masonry class or there's this edu- inspection class. Or I'm trying to put on as much as I can up here. For those that don't know, I'm the president of the New Hampshire and Vermont Chimney Sweep Guild. The last two, three years, the guild's motivation has been get as much training up here as we can because it's New Hampshire, right? Who comes up here on purpose? <laughs> so we got to kind of force the issue. So we're getting as much as we can. So I said, this is great. Everybody wants it like we do. They don't. I would call people directly and say, hey, we've got this class coming on this date. It's going to be absolutely amazing. I remember the first time I took it, changed my business, changed my world, made everything better. Come take it. I would say 70% of the time, the answer I get is, yeah, I wish I could, man. I just don't have the time. It's all right. I'll get the next one. I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. I don't have the time. And I keep hearing that over and over again. And I grit my teeth. I'm like, so to go back to the saw, right? You have to sharpen it. You have to have the time to take two hours to sharpen the saw. Otherwise you're just beating the hell out of this tree with a dull piece of metal and don't realize you think you're doing a good job, right? Think about the, the visual there. Like let's, let's nail it down. Almost all of us have cut something, maybe not a tree, but you've cut a piece of wood. You've used the saw, you've used a knife. We all know what that looks like. What does a sharp saw knife blade do to wood, bread, whatever you're cutting, right? Nice clean cut, nice perfection. There it is. What does a dull knife, a dull saw, a dull blade do to anything? Mangles it. So we think we're doing the right thing because we're going to take these six hours and man up and cowboy up and knuckle down. We're going to just beat the hell out of this tree because meh. But even if you get it down and it takes you six hours, what does the tree look like? What does the wood look like? What does your result look like? Mangled? But we don't see that until we get a phone call or see a Facebook post that we almost burned a house down, right? That's It shouldn't have to get to that point for some of us, but it did for me. So the I'm too busy, the I have too much work, I can't afford to miss work. That's the other one that I get. Can't afford to miss work, I can't. <clears throat> that goes back to the last few weeks we've been talking about. You don't know your numbers is what you're saying. Because if you can't afford to train, or if you don't have the time to train, you're not scheduling well and you're not charging enough. You just don't know that because you haven't been to a class because you couldn't afford to take the time to go to, to, to talk to anybody about it. But that's a you problem. If you own a, we all get into business for the same reasons. We want freedom. We want to be able to control our schedule, want to make more money. That's the point of us getting into business. Nobody gets into business to be a non-for-profit or to work seven days a week. That's not on the why I signed up for this list. So if you got into business to make more money and have more free time, 
then how do we get into, I don't have any time and I can't afford to not work? That's a you problem. You got to fix that. What it says in the book is you don't have time to not sharpen the saw. That's what it said. And I read that and I'm like, oh my God, it's right. You don't have the time to not sharpen the saw. If it takes two hours to sharpen it, you think that time is wasted or lost or you're going to regret it. But in reality, now you can chop down twice as many trees in the time you took you to chop down one before and do the preventative work to make the saw work. But that's what we don't see. We don't see the big picture. So go to my five days I took off. I lost a lot of money. Small company, one, two years in, taking the entire company out to a training and pay for the ticket, pay for their lunches, pay them hourly for the entire week. Nobody made any money. And now we have no work backed up because nobody was answering the phone all week. I mean, that's that's business suicide, right? Not the last time I've done it. Not even close to the last time I've done it, as you're going to find out. So talking about money, we talked about a little bit the last few weeks, knowing your numbers, knowing your schedule, having being in uh, uh intentional, that's the word, (laughs) being intentional about business, not just letting business happen to you. For a long time, I was reacting to business. I would wait until I had to do something before I did it. Once I started taking control of my business, being intentional in it, paying attention, focusing, that's when it got easier. Not at first, got a lot harder, but it's getting easier. It's still not easy. But I say this in my classes when I talk about free estimates. Let's say you make $1,000 a day and you work six days a week. How much would you make in a week? $6,000. $1,000 a day, six times. Great. I know so many people, I'll call them up and I'll even ask them, not even for training. I'll be like, hey, you want to go have a beer this week and you want to go here, you want to do this, you want to play softball, whatever. And I'd get answers like, I can't, man, I can't. I got to work on Sunday. I got so much work. I can't see straight. I got to work on Saturday and then on Sunday and then on Monday, I got this thing. And I'm like, you're working Saturday and Sunday? Why? I just have to. I have to. I just, I got so much work. I got so much work. And I'm like, right. You don't know your numbers. Is what that says. $1,000 a day times six days is $6,000. let us say it's $1,000 a day times seven because you want to be a beast. $7,000. What if you charged more, did a better job, sharpened your saw, and now you have enough value in your company time energy that you can now charge and make $2,000 a day? Now, what if you worked five days? So instead of $1,000 a day times six for 6,000, now you're working $2,000 a day for five days. That's $10,000 for a day less of work, $4,000 more. It's so simple when you put this out and you're like, (laughs) ta-da, there it is. But no one wants to do it. Everybody wants to do the $1,000 a day and do the cheap job and get it quick and book as much work because if I want to book the work, somebody else is going to take it and they need to take all the work. You don't. I've been there. I'm telling you, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. I sat with a guy this uh, past year. Uh, I'm not going to say what state he's in because <laughs> anyway, he's from a different state and he said that he and his guys do eight, nine, 10 appointments a day. And I'm like, why? Do three, do four. It's, you can't do a good job unless you do three or four because inspections another day. He goes, no, no, man, you don't understand. You don't understand. If I don't answer every call that I get and I don't do an appointment for every person that calls me, then I'm going to breed competition. And I'm like, um, nope, <laughs> you don't. Oh, I will. I will. I was like, how many people do you have in your area? He goes, none. I said, okay, you need competition. He goes, no, I can't. I can't. I have to do every work for everybody that calls and I have to blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I'm in an area of a 120,000 people city in our main city. We got about 400,000 homes in the area and they're within 20, I would say within 30 minutes of my shop, there are 30 other companies. 
30, a good percentage of them, certified, reputable, educated, good work, 30. And I still have the biggest chimney company in the state. Competition is not a bad thing. So many of us think that we have to grasp at all of these straws to make a living when in reality we're working six, seven days for nothing compared to working less, making more. And then if you're only working five days or you know your numbers and you figured out your scheduling, now you can schedule around things like training, like vacations, like retreats, getaways, uh, company appreciation days, stuff like that. You have the time and you have the money. Isn't that why we got into business in the first place? I know it was for me. I didn't get into business to work seven days and be scraping by and not be able to take time. No, it's not what I want. (laughs) But a lot of us do. I did. So the I don't have time, the I can't afford to miss doesn't hold water if you are intentional and you are getting education. So the next thing I did was after I got certified in that week, was I heard about this thing called convention. My convention? What? What, Where? Why? How? Because I worked at a company where we didn't talk to people on the outside. We didn't share what he called, quote unquote, and I'm doing the air quotes, trade secrets. There are no trade secrets in chimney sweeping. We're all following the same code book using relatively the same materials. So it's, it's, it's advice. It's not trade secrets. So whatever. But we didn't talk to the outside world. So I didn't know there was anything outside of our shop until I started talking to people outside my shop like Steve Scally. He goes, you need to go to convention. I'm like, what is, what is this, this convention you speak of? He goes, oh, a bunch of us meet and we go and there's training and there's food and there's good times and there's dinners. And I'm like, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in, let's do this. I didn't think that through. At the time, I only had four, I don't know how many went to the first one, maybe four, maybe five employees to the first one. But that also involves because it's four days worth of training from Thursday through Saturday or Wednesday through Saturday. You got to get there. You got to have travel days. So really looking at a week off again. And we did shut the company down for a week, even brought Jill out of the office. No one's answering the phones again. No, actually, I take that back. She did answer the phones for the first couple of ones. She didn't get to go. <laughs> Poor Jill. <laughs> but the technicians, nobody was making, making any money. No one's doing any work. We shut it down. I paid for the tickets to the event. I paid for the flights, paid for the hotel, paid for some of the food. Some of it's provided. I paid for what wasn't. Paid for the rental car. And it just paid through the nose, right? To bring everybody out there. Oh, I paid them hourly too. They also got paid to go. And at the same time, not making any money. I think at the time we were making 30, 40,000 a week, if I remember correctly. Not really sure on those. So all in all, between paying for everybody and then the money that we lost, I was in the hole dollars $70,000 for this one week. And it hurt. Like that's a lot of money to a small company. And in the beginning of the year, they're always held in March or April. So right out the gate, we've had a slower time. We try to keep it year round. Of course, it's not perfect yet. So we're still slower, not making a lot of money. And now it has paid the entire company to not work. And on top of that, paid for flights and hotels and food and all this other fun stuff. We get back and then we take Monday, Tuesday off because Sunday was a travel day. I'm not gonna be like, okay, good flight. See you tomorrow. I'm not a jerk. So you get Monday, Tuesday off as a weekend. So really I've lost seven days of actual work. I lost my shirt. (laughs) It was... It was expensive. And I'm, of course, put this big face on. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. We're having a good time. And then I'd go home and I'd cry because I'm like, how am I going to make back the 70000 I just lost? However, my first convention that I went to changed my entire business acumen, everything. From the trade show, getting to walk around and see these fantastical new tools like rotary sweeping, 
or new rods that flex and move and bend and connect differently or camera systems or the vacuums. I was still using a shop vac and push brooms at the time. Now I'm looking around, I'm looking at these fantastical HEPA filtered three motor. I'm like, wow, and these cameras and the rods. And then on top of that, just other little tools, the Ridge Pro, the GOAT, platforms, scaffolding. I'm like, oh my God, this would make our life so much easier. And it did. Hence, my employees all being spoiled now. (laughs) But I wouldn't know any of those tools if I didn't go. Then learning about things like codes and standards. And I'm like, oh, we're supposed to be doing that? Oh, (laughs) sorry. And then just the business classes on top of that. Like learning about running a business, hearing other people. That's where I first heard Mark Stoner talk about the the three to five van mark and how hard it was. And at the time I had two and I'm like, oh crap, I'm almost there. Like I got help. I got vision. The relationships that I formed, that's where I met Mark Stoner for the first time. I read about him, read his book, uh, read him in the uh, sweeping magazine, read about his company, saw him on TV. Like this guy's just up here. And now he's standing 10 feet away from me at the social night. And I'm like, that's Mark Stoner. Got to meet him. Got to meet Steve Scally there. Jeremy Biswell, Jasper Drangler, all these guys that I now have a really close relationship with. And I call them, they're my equals. We talked about the plus minus equals. These are my equals that I can call and say, hey, I need help with this. Or what would you do? Or how would you deal with this? Never have those relationships if I didn't go to that cl- that training. And there's so much more, but it's I got that convention brain they talk about. You learn so much, you find out so much, and now you want to change the whole world when you get back, <laughs> which I try to do. But it cost me. It cost me a lot of money and time, but my my saw got sharpened. That's a tongue twister. Saw got sharpened. All of our saws got sharpened because we were all there. We got to talk about it. Like, you're not going to believe this tool that I saw. You're not going to believe what I heard about this or this job we've been doing. There's a better way to do it. And I met this guy and he's got this way that he does this thing. And before you know it, the whole company is on cloud nine. We're like, woo, here we go. But it costs It costs time and it costs money. You have to be able to give that up because once again, after going to that, after making changes, after putting a lot of these into place, average ticket went up, efficiency goes up, morale goes up. Now we're making money. And before you know it, that 60, 70,000 that we did lose out on that I did spend, we have now made back because the company's growing and it's moving and it's working. So you might be thinking, great, you get a lot of training, get a lot of certification, good for you. And I hear that a lot from people. Last year, being on the CSIA board, we kind of got our our nose thumped in. But a lot of people are saying, you know, good for you, you can afford that. I can't. Correct. Businesses might be bigger. Profits might be different. It does come down to knowing your numbers. You have to be able to afford that. You have to make the time. You have to save the money for it. It's like you would if it was a family vacation or if it was something you wanted in your personal life. You would sure budget the time and the money for it. Why don't you do it in your business? Right? But it's not all about training and certification. When you're talking about sharpening the saw, education is key and training is a necessity, but there's more to it. Like I said last week, one of the things, one of my core beliefs when I started Caesar Chimney was I was not going to lay people off. That's just not part of my business. To this day, I still have not had to lay off a single employee in seven winters in New Hampshire. Haven't done it. There's been some slower times. There's been some cut hours. There's been some blizzards that have just kept us at home for a week or so. Like that happens and that's winter and we can't help that. It is seasonal. But I've never had to lay anybody off. For those that didn't listen last week, 
I was literally sent home on Christmas ish, somewhere around that week here, you know, thanks for a great year. See you in April, go find something to do for the next three months. Not my problem. (laughs) I'm not ever going to do that to somebody. That's a dick move to me. I'm not going to look my employees in the eye and say, thanks for your help. See you maybe. So day one, I'm like, not going to do it. And I even started my business in the winter. I started in January when everybody was already swept. I had no prior work. I had no estimates to fall back on. Nothing forward scheduled. I had to start in the winter. So really, it's been eight. Anyway, point is, didn't want to do it. So how do you get through that if you have all these employees and we keep growing and I keep getting all these people working in the fall and in the beginning of the winter, then just to come to somewhat of a screeching slower halt? What do you do? Well, we find things to do. (laughs) My first year, I only had the one employee. I paid him to not work. Literally, I paid him. I said, I'm, I, I'm not going to, I can't, I don't have enough work. I don't know if I can make it, but I'm going to try my damnedest to get people to book work. But I will give you, essentially, it came down to a salary. By the end of the winter, I looked back on it. I started counting the days, days that he worked and days that he was off, and then figured out what I had paid him, did all this math. Come to find out, it came up to almost exactly half. I paid him to not work half of the winter. He's still with me. He was one of my management now, one of my top guys, because he saw that I cared about him. I could have just as easily said, hit the bricks. I'll call you maybe. Oh, you got another job. Okay, next. Like, it's not about me. It's about him. He trusted me by coming to work for me that he was going to have a job that he could pay his bills. And I'm not just going to kick him to the curb because mm, whatever. That, That doesn't make sense to me. So I paid him half the winter to not work. And he's still with me. Year after that, it got a little harder. Now I've got more employees. Now I've got more payroll. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I didn't pay everybody to not work, but we made it work. I made as much work as I could. Not, not, not everybody got a lot of hours. There was, I think that was the winter. That was the year that the winter was so bad. There was three, four feet of snow. So it kind of helped me. I'm like, it's not my fault. We can't even leave our driveways and nobody's calling. So we were all out of it. What, the, what your employees need to understand is you're in it with them. If they're not working and they're not making money, neither the hell are you. (laughs) Let them understand that. If you're just, and this is what happened to me when I worked for someone else, is when he would lay me off in the winter, I thought that work just stopped. I thought this is how it was in chimney sweeping, that nobody called, the business closed up, shut the doors and whatever. I found out he was working. (laughs) He was, wor- I'm at home trying to you know, work at Burger King, trying to find something to do to make it three months uh, with not making as much money as I was. Come to find out he's still out there working. The people were still calling. He just didn't want to pay somebody to help him. And I still stayed with him, whatever, that's on me. But then when I became a lead and I started running a van and I started taking more ownership and I started diving into the business more, I was talking to Jill and I said, so, you know, I don't know what we're going to do for the winter because, you know, nobody really calls. And she goes, yeah, they do. And I'm like, what? I was like, nobody, you know, we don't have any work because we get laid off every year. She goes, no, they call. He just tells me, you know, sorry, we're, we're not working right now or we don't want to unless it's something easy, then he'll go out and do it. But we actually turn the work away. <laughs> I was like, what? So I went to him. I'm like, what are you talking about? What is, how are you going to lay us off if people are calling? He goes, what, you want to work in that weather? I'm like, yeah, I do. I like getting paid and being able to afford my rent and car, you know, things like that. He goes, if you want to work in it, more power to you, you know. So I went to Jill and I was like, Jill set every appointment that calls. <laughs> and that winter, we worked through the entire winter. Not one week went by that there wasn't at least one or two jobs set that we made something and did something 
And that's the, the motivation that I took into running my own company. I'm not going to do this. If the people are calling, let's make them call more. Let's get more work. Let's forward schedule. Let's fill the winter rather than just back away from it. I know that to people listening, especially uh, like Tommy Nelms, Mark Stoner in Tennessee, you guys get an inch of snow and the, the city shuts down. I've been there when they got an inch of snow. Literally, the city shut down. We get a foot, two feet. As long as the plows are running, we're out working. We'll rake the roof. We'll put up a ridge hook. We'll wear extra layers. We're going to put this liner in. We had guys working on a zero degree day last year on a metal roof. Three of them. Tile breaking and a liner. Took them all damn day. The customer actually cooked them a hot meal because he felt so bad for them. But they're out there. I talked to this a while back. Like, what are you supposed to do as an owner at that point? Forget snow. Rain. Oh, it's raining. Sorry. Take the day off. Not going to do that. Oh, sorry. It's, you know, I'm not going to. One of my employees complained the other day. It was funny. He's like, man, it's raining. Did I go out and freaking work in this rain? And John's a jerk. And one of the other employees goes, do you listen to John's podcast last week? He talked about this. He goes, he did? He's like, yeah. Why don't you listen to it? You'll understand his mindset a little more. I was really proud that day. Anyway, my point is we have to make these tough decisions and you're going to decide, are you going to take money from people or are you going to give them the opportunity to take it? If they want to, like he, like my old boss did to me, he asked me, you want to work in this? Hell yeah, I do. Because motivation, because drive, because <laughs> desperation. I need the money. Yeah, I'm going to go work. I'd rather do that than make nothing. Sometimes give it to your employees. Ask them, hey, you want to take the winter off? Want to take a month off? You want to take half the week? Whatever. It's up to you. You have to lead them. You have to show them a path that you care. It's not just, yeah, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. So slow winters, talk about sharpening the axe. Now what we do, the bigger we've gotten, it's getting it's getting scary. What are you going to do with 20, 30 people in the winter if you get a blizzard? Oh, it paralyzes me every year. I'm like, this is terrifying. So we bring them in. We have in-house trainings. We take the time to do classes, do refreshers. Let's. We Last year, uh, two years ago, we got our first shop. And I got it in February. So we had to move everything from my house to this new place. And then we had to paint. And then we had to rip up flooring. And we had to put up new walls. And we had to organize. And we had to buy shelving. We had to stock. We made it. Everybody worked that winter. I lost my shirt, <laughs> but I paid everybody to work through the slow season. And what's funny is one of the guys that ended up, he did leave and start his own company, screwed me over, but he worked through that winter with me. And in May of that year, he came to me and he goes, Hey, listen, man, I got to talk to you. Uh, I got 35 hours last week and I, just, I can't work here if I'm not going to make at least 40. And I said, say that again. You, you got 35 hours last week and that's the least you've made when he goes well since i started he started the previous fall i said okay i need you to realize something you made at least 35 hours through january february and march and april in new hampshire i don't think you understand the gravity of what you just said and i was proud of that i'm trying to like i'm I'm jumping for joy that i went from starting a company where i vowed never to lay somebody off and now this guy's complaining because he got 35 hours in may for the first time in a year i'm like oh we made it at the same time i lost my shirt <laughs> i had to pay the entire company to come in and paint and stock and build shelving that's not our company we didn't make any money off of that once in a while we had work come in but for the most part i was paying them to work in the shop but we were sharpening the axe we got a shop out of it we had storage out of it we had trainings. We started building our training center. We put time into our company and I paid them all to do it. Didn't make any any money for it, but I made a lot on the back end. My saw became sharper for it. 
Fast forward to March of 2020. Here we go again. We've made it through the winter. We've been paying people to work. Now we're actually learning how to schedule work for the winter. So now we're actually getting some momentum. It's not as big of a hole anymore. It's not dead. It's just slower. It's not even really slow. It's just slower, which sometimes comes as a a refresh, honestly, because I didn't realize how hard the winter is and the fall is on our bodies and our minds that if you just keep going right after that, you're going to break. Honestly, you need that time to kind of relax. So when I give our technicians vacation, I'm like, I want you to use it. They ask me all the time, will you pay me to not use it? I'm like, absolutely not. You're going to take these weeks of vacation. I force it on them because you need to relax or you're going to burn out. Take them in the winter. So I pay a lot of vacation time in the winter, first of all. But if they're not on vacation and they're not working, what are you going to do with them? We train. So either schedule it, get the work where you're slow. I talked a few episodes ago about July being a hole for us. So the winter is one thing. July just became a, a pit every year. Couldn't figure out why. So I threw money at it because <laughs> that's what I do with anything else. I threw money at it. I started getting TV commercials put on TV in July. And all of a sudden, people were thinking chimneys in July. And it worked. And it just sparked our fall, which then just carried on for the next few years. But back to March of 2020, we're coming out of the uh, the slower time. We're starting to get calls. Work is starting to pick up. It was early. I remember it was it was uh, a milder winter, so it was starting to get warmer sooner. I'm like, here we go. We're going to get into busy season sooner, into masonry season. And then COVID hits. And I'm watching the TV and they're saying, you know, stay in your homes and don't let anybody in and don't go anywhere and don't do anything and no unnecessary travel. And I'm like, <clears throat> What? We're in chimneys in the spring. I've been working my butt off to make people even call us in the spring. They want to wait until September every year. And I've been working to make them call in the spring. And now the news is saying, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. I'm like, we're screwed. We're done. How are we going to come back from this? So we called everybody in. I said, hey, everybody's been watching the news. Everybody sees what's going on. Um, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do unsafe and all that. Um, But... I'm going to shut the company down for a couple of weeks. They said, this is back when it was two weeks to flatten the curve. We're supposed to take two weeks. <laughs> what a joke that is now. But I said, we're going to take these two weeks, like they're saying. Uh, I'm shutting it down. We're not going to schedule any work. The office is going to go reschedule all the work for the next two weeks, push it out. And then we'll see what happens. Because I was anticipating the office calling everybody for those two weeks and saying this. And they'd all be like, yeah, okay, just, you know, let's not. Let's just put time out. Maybe never. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Everybody rescheduled, maybe like one or two, maybe the majority of them rescheduled. But now the question was, what are we going to do with everybody for two weeks? Do I not pay them? I'm like, I think I have to. <laughs> I think PPP and all this stuff is coming and they're talking, there was no PPP yet, but they were talking about the fact that you had to pay them. And I'm like, do we pay them? Do we not? Are we supposed to? Do we have to? I don't know. I had six employees at the time. Not, not including myself, not including the office. The office went home and worked remotely. We had that all set up. We've already talked about how we set the company up, where it essentially is remote, and Jill did it for years. So when this happened, that was easy. They all went home. We gave them a laptop and a headset, and boom, the calls never never stopped. But the technicians, I'm like, what are we supposed to do with them for two weeks in the where we're already like bare-knuckling it right now? So we trained again. This time a little bit heavier. Usually it was like sporadic as the calls would dry up or as the weather would be. We didn't really know when it was coming until the day of and we'd kind of go by the seat of our pants. Now I'm like, we've got the next two weeks. What the heck are we going to do? The first week was restock, reorganize. The shop was a mess. As most of you know, after the busy season ends, 
everything's everywhere. Nothing's where it's supposed to be. Everything's dirty. The vans haven't been cleaned. So we're like, boom, Monday, vans. Tuesday, shelves. Wednesday, sweep everything, right? We hit the entire shop top to bottom and we just made everything as clean as we could. And we still had another week to go. I was like, what are we going to do? Masonry. Everybody's complaining that they don't know masonry. They've been bidding it. They're not sure. They're not comfortable. They haven't done enough. I'm like, boom, here we go. Look at all these bricks we have sitting in the corner making us no money in, in March. Everybody grab some bricks. Everybody grab uh, mixing buckets. Here's some tools, tarps. We set it up. We moved all the vans outside and we set up a training area in the shop. Everybody built their own chimney. Mix your own mud, lay your own bricks, run your own line, do it all yourself. No one's going to, you got no tender here. You just have me walking around nitpicking, <laughs> micromanaging, teaching really. But we're going to train. And we did. And everybody in the company built their own chimney. There's pictures of this on Facebook. We had six chimneys at the end of the week. Corbels, crowns, flue tiles, whole nine yards. And they were amazing. Like I was anticipating, honestly, that like most of them were going to suck. I was like, these guys know what they're doing. And they're going to be kind of, you know, just let them go through the motions. Every one of those chimneys by the end of it, I would have put on somebody's house. I was like, that is amazing. They all took to it and having that focus and that time to not have to rush, to not have to worry. And they got to use the tools and I got to tweak the hand movements and boom, everybody had a chimney that I would put on someone's house. Now I'm like, what are you supposed to do with them? <laughs> I didn't anticipate having everybody's worth keeping. So we ended up choosing the two best out of them, which was tough. And then we trashed the rest. The two that we kept, we just, we kept moving them around the shop for the last couple of years or last, last year now. So the last couple of years and we didn't know what to do with them. We've made that part of our training now. They're mobile chimneys. Somebody came for a training uh, last month and we put it on a dolly and wheeled it out into the middle of the parking lot. And he goes, mobile chimneys, what a time to be alive. And I'm like, yeah, but how easy is it to just build a quick 15 courses on a cinder block, throw a dolly under it, wheel it where you want it. Now we teach during our trainings and for our refreshers, we teach grind and repoint. We teach waterproofing. We teach cutting out bricks and replacing them. We teach crown coat. We teach expansion joints. You can do everything that you would do on a customer's home right there in your parking lot or your driveway. Just from, so it, it, it grew legs. I needed two weeks to pay people to do nothing. And I turned it into the shop became spotless. The vans became organized and everybody learned how to build a chimney in two weeks. Yes, once again, lost my shirt. Had to pay the entire company to not work for two weeks. And I still wasn't even sure I was going to have a company. So I'm spending money. I'm not sure if I'm going to get back anymore. Thankfully, our customers didn't care. New Hampshire's live free or die, literally. And that for the week after it shut down, we're like, let's see if we're going to be allowed in homes. And we took off from there and the company grew. My company's grown from six employees now to 27 since COVID started. So the homeowners could care less. <laughs> And it's been an amazing time, but it was kickstarted by taking that time to sharpen our saw that, that I think it was three weeks after that masonry training, two of the technicians that had built their first chimney that week during our training went out and worked together on a chimney. And it just so happens to be overlooking a highway. So every time I drive down the highway, I look up and I see it and I'll be damned if that's not one of the best chimneys I've ever seen square flush, the shape, the angle, like, oh, it's just beautiful. I couldn't believe they did it. And then I was like, oh, that's right. We literally just poured into these guys for a week last month. That matters. Take that time. When people are like, I don't have time to train, make it. Sometimes it's made for you. How easy is it to lay somebody off for the winter? How easy is it to see COVID and, and shut the company down and run? 
I don't think like that. I'm like, these people depend on me. If they don't have a paycheck, I don't have a paycheck. We all lose. This is a terrible thing. Why did I do this? So instead, every time we have a downtime, it's get in the training room. We're going to watch videos. Get in the training room. We're going to go over inspection reports. Get in the training room. We're going to listen to motivational videos. I don't care. I'll pay people. I've done that. Pay them to come in and listen to Simon Sinek for an hour because we need to learn how to be better leaders. Or for a week, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to build chimneys. All of it. Do it. Don't just leave everything a mess and leave everybody untrained and then say, oh, we don't have time and money. That's not a thing. We did it again last December. We had another, we had an actual COVID scare this time. We made it all the way from March to December, everybody getting tested and all that. Um, finally, middle of December, we got all this work booked up. We're back into the busy season. And one of the technicians comes in with a fever and a cough. The other one, uh, similar symptoms. And I'm like, oh no, here it is. Panic mode uh, sets in. This is at like three o'clock on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Like we're in the middle of this. And I had to pull the trigger. I was like, that's it. Nobody come in tomorrow. We're shut down for two weeks. Everybody gets two weeks paid vacation and everybody get tested to come back next year. My entire company got a two week paid vacation. We didn't do any training. Nobody came in. We weren't allowed to. It was actually quarantine at that point. But did I get anything out of it? Hell yeah, I did. My employees knew I had their back. They knew that the money doesn't matter to me. It's not about sales or numbers or all of that crap. It's not about that. It's about them. And the second somebody got a fever, the second someone started coughing in the training room, that's it. Go home. Shutting it down. Everybody gets a two-week paid Christmas vacation out of it. And I did. I'm not made of money. Some of my technicians, it's funny, they think I'm rich. And <laughs> I laugh, as most of you business owners would as well. You're like, yeah, okay. Because they don't know how much we actually spend to do this. We don't, we're not made of money, for those listening. We're not. In a small business of any trade or size or scope, you don't, we don't make as much as you think we do. We don't have money to spend to train somebody for an entire week on how to get certified. We don't have money to send you to Vegas or Florida or Oregon for a week and then pay for your hotel and your rental car and your food and your, we don't have that kind of money to not make money and then spend all that. We don't have money to pay you to work through the slow season, to paint walls and build shelves. We don't have money to shut down the company for two weeks and teach you how to build chimneys when I could have just sent you home for those two weeks. We don't have that money, but you have to. Like way back in the beginning, we were talking about sharpening the saw. I got so sick of working for someone else that beat trees with a dull saw that I started my own company. And what did I do? Well, I took off beating trees with a dull saw (laughs) because why not? If it ain't broke, right? Because I thought I had experience because I thought I've been doing, I'm certified. I took that test in a hotel after a four hour review. I know what I'm doing. I'm an expert. I can run a company now. I didn't have any experience. I had one year of experience repeated five times. I wasn't certified. I just crammed to get a badge because that's all my employer saw it as. He doesn't see it as ongoing education. He saw it as go out here, cram, read this, pass that test. I did by the skin of my teeth. I got a 72 and you needed a 70 to pass. He wanted a merit badge. He wanted something you can go, ding, look, we're, we, we're certified. I wasn't educated at all. There's a, I'm going to talk about this in a later podcast if I feel like getting punched in the mouth. But there's a huge difference between education and certification. If you just want the merit badge or if you just want to get something on your shirt or van to make people call you, don't waste anybody's time getting certified. Don't do it. 
That's not what it's for. I've done it. I did it. It's false hope. You go out there thinking you know what you're talking about. You tell your customers you know what you're talking about, and they trust you putting fire in their homes and toxic gases through their bedrooms, and you have no idea what you're doing because all you did was cram a, a book. That's not education. That's not experience. You need real education. You need real experience. You need to listen to people that know what they're talking about. You need to ask for help when you need it. All of that sharpens your saw. And once you learn how to do it, you turn around, you do it back to your technicians. Pay them to learn. Pay them to grow. Pay them to pour into themselves. And then you pour into them. Train them. Show them what the hell they're doing. Don't just send them out there half-cocked. Don't do it. I've done it. (laughs) I'm paying for it. Some of the work I go back and I see from guys I hired just because they were quote-unquote experienced or quote-unquote certified I'm embarrassed that my name's on it and it still is. And we find it every year. My texts are like, must be one of those guys. So we have those guys. We have that armpit of Caesar chimney where I was worried more about getting money than doing a good job. So if you don't have the time to go to a training, there's training everywhere now, everywhere. CSIA has it, NCSG, Copperfield, Fire, NFI, everybody and their mother seems to put in a class on miles away from you, which is the way it's supposed to be. That's what we've been pushing for. Local guilds putting on trainings every other day, it seems like. It's everywhere. And if somebody calls you and invites you, or you see one and it's happening near you, shut it down and go. I don't care who it is. This isn't a CSIA only kind of... I'm I'm saying if it's near you and it's something that you haven't been to before, shut it down. I have... I don't want to say wasted. I have spent so much money to not work. It's not even funny. And all I've gotten out of it is one hell of a sharp saw. So I'll keep doing it. It's not about the money for me. It's about the quality. So that's all I got. How sharp is your saw? Do you have experience? Are you educated? Are you certified? Do you actually know what you're doing? Or have you just followed somebody else like I did and think that they knew what they're doing so that automatically works for you by osmosis? I don't know. All this training out there, go get some. Go sign up for it. Go sit through a class. It'll change your business life. I can't believe some of the things that I heard. I was like, I wish I'd have known that three, four, five, ten years ago. Still happening to this day. You're never there. You've never learned too much. So keep it going. Keep doing good work. Try to make it through this busy season. Thank you for lending me your ears.